Hey, all you fish heads out there. My name is Smokin' Joe, and I have some questions. Do you have fish? Yeah. Do you love your fish? Yeah. Do you love your fish enough to buy them their own song? Oh, yeah. Who needs another castle for the tank when you can have a custom tune made for your favorite finned friend? It's easy. You tell me about your fish. I have the best fish. You pick a genre of music. Any genre. I make you a song. From metal to Irish folk. From EDM to funk to punk. I'd love to make a song for you. Visit www.smokinjoeonline.com to fill out your inquiry today. That's www.smokinjoeonline.com today. Hi, Scrapjaw here. I've been up way too late working on this ad. But you know what it's not too late for? Going to joeshroomshack.com and placing an order using the aquarium guys at checkout for a 15% discount on my entire order. With a wide variety of available shrimp and crawfish species to suit my fancy, Joe is there to help. Joe also keeps a ready supply of shrimp king foods, tissue cultured plants and moss, filtration equipment and plenty of other odds and ends. But let's not forget his most famous products, the Chola Wood by the Inch, and the most prized item in very limited quantities, Aquarium Guys Certified Shrimp Bathwater. Yes, that's right. Just use our promo code Aquarium Guys at checkout to get your 15% discount and help support the podcast. Joe Shrimp Shack, working tirelessly so you don't have to. And we'd like to thank everybody for coming back for part two of our interview with Matt Peterson of Amazonas and Coral Magazine. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys podcast with your hosts, Jim Colby and Rob Zolson. We're going to get in the part of the podcast where we ask more of the generic questions for a lot of our beginner audience on uh, clownfish. Uh, number one, right. if for the listeners trying to get into uh, the clowns, what are the specific for people that have never done this before that have just started to dabble into saltwater? What are specific uh, habitats and requirements that you need for clownfish in general? I mean, <clears throat> clowns are uh, clowns are, are different because they're a damsel. Um, so in that regard, they can be aggressive. There's something, I'm just going to throw it out there, about 30 species, give or take. So there's a lot more than just Nemo and Percula. Uh, most of them now are available captive bred. So unless you're looking for something specific, you're going to probably be buying a captive bred clownfish. The important thing to know, if someone doesn't know it, clownfish are sequential hermaphrodites. So effectively, I'm going to oversimplify, they're all born as male. So, you know, what ends up happening is... Um, uh, they they go out they settle at the on the reef they find an anemone to live in there may or may not be other clownfish there uh, if there are they stay small um, and what ends up happening is the largest in the social group becomes a, the active female second largest in the group the second most dominant fish becomes the active male and that's the pair that spawns and uh, the clowns that are there are kind of waiting 
for their turn for someone to die. Uh, if the male dies, one of the juveniles will move up into that actual active active male role. If the female dies, the male will become the female, and then another one will move up and become the male. So, so they, understanding how they work, they stay as ahead. a colony essentially. Some, some species, some species more than others. Uh, like maroon clouds tend to, I think they're really just more of pairs in the wild. But uh, like you'll see like saddleback clownfish and Clarky clownfish in large groups. Um, and then also you have large aggregations of anemones. So sometimes uh, you'll find several pairs living in a colony. And so you'll have fish of all different sizes and ages together. It all pertains to how you would keep them in your home tank. Um, because generally speaking, clownfish are a pair. Uh, I know there's some examples, uh, like BRS has a really nice black snowflake clownfish colony that they set up, uh, that Chad Vossen helped them set up. And that was done with, I think, buying 30 to 40 siblings all at the same time and starting it off together, and they're the only thing in the tank. Um, and that's not what most people are doing. So most most people, I think the, the most fundamental thing you need to understand about keeping clownfish is you're probably going to have just one pair per tank. So don't rush out and buy the first clownfish you see. If you're only going to have one aquarium, buy the pair you really want when you're ready. Um, just because you that's it. You're done. Uh, as far as pairing them, levels of, of uh, aggression in the species. Um, but for the most part, getting one that's larger and one that's smaller is usually the basic requirement. for. If you get a, a juvenile and one that's a little larger, they'll, they'll grow up to be a pair. They may not bond right away, but they will. Um, from a husbandry standpoint, most of them have zero need for anemones. Uh, it's really only wild clownfish that seem to benefit from it. And even then, it's only select species that seem to really, if they don't have an anemone, they're not happy. Um, but all the captive bred ones, they don't need it. They've never seen it. There's a lot of rumors that come up that oh, captive bred clownfish won't use an anemone. That's just patently false. They will. They won't necessarily dive headlong into it immediately. Uh, and you still might want to make sure you get the right type of an enemy to go with the right type of clownfish. But I would say that the clownfish hobby, um, if you're really into clownfish, became a little bit of a uh, almost a, a Pokemon affair. Because you'll, you'll see a lot of people who kind of ended up collecting pairs of clownfish and so kind of like we were talking earlier about the shrimp keeper who's you know every type of shrimp needs its own little tank you start to get into people who have a rack of 20 or 30 you know five or 10 gallon tanks and each one has a pair of clownfish in it and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it i think it's a lot of fun um and because you can get all the different designer forms i mean they've kind of become the guppy of the marine world um they're easiest marine fish to breed at this point even past blue damsels? What was that? Even past something. I'm just trying to think of like easiest fish to keep in saltwater. I've always been told it's blue damsels. Oh, no, no. I said easiest to breed. Oh, okay. Easiest to breed. All right. A captive bred clownfish, especially something like a Clarkie or a tomato, a pretty bulletproof fish. Um, we, we talk about damsels a lot of times. So we, I think all of us who've been in the hobby long enough know that damsels used to be the cycle fish uh, before we talked about fishless cycles or anything other than, uh, you know, the first fish throwing in the tank were, were a pair of were some blue damsels. And oftentimes there's something like a three stripe or a humbug or a domino, and it would end up being this 
horrible fish <laughs> that you had to get rid of later because um, it didn't match what you were what you were going for. Uh, the clownfish, clownfish are pretty peaceful. They're territorial. They protect their home. So you're going to come and bug their home. They'll fight back. Other than that, you know they're they're pretty mild and uh, some would even say passive. Um, so uh, yeah, you wouldn't put it. You wouldn't put a couple Ocellaris clownfish in with a bunch of triggers and really aggressive fish that wouldn't work out well but i clownfish tend to get along in most situations uh they just find their home and they stay there and that makes it really easy to keep most of the clownfish in pretty small tanks uh, i was spawning black oscillaris in a six gallon nano cube uh, on my wife's uh nightstand so uh you know they had their their red bubble tip anemone pair of black clownfish six gallon tank that was all it took um so they work with any they work with any any typical reef community you'd you'd mostly encounter. There's a clownfish for everyone. I mean, it's just at this point, the vast majority of what we see are oscillaris or percula or hybrids between those two species. Uh, and then all the black oscillaris might be another species. So that little group is really where most of the action is happening, though. Uh, everything else is kind of shadowed by by that group of fish. So we got a question from one of the uh, listeners that's in the audience right now uh, asking, so right. Nemo's dad, Marlin, was just stressed out because he was going through the change? Yep. yep. I, that's, that's, that's the joke. That's the, I mean, if, if, if Nemo was really accurate, Marlin would have become Marlena and Nemo would have married Marlena. So, Oh, uh, I don't think Disney would appreciate <laughs> yeah, that one. Wow. That sounds more like something that would happen down in the south. Oh, <laughs> there, there's been a few. There's there's been a few articles about that, especially uh, especially in light of uh, some of the uh, rather homophobic things that have happened in the reef hobby. It's like they're all keeping these gender bending fish. I mean, most of the marine fish. That's a big difference between freshwater and saltwater fish keeping and breeding. Is most of the marine fish are hermaphrodites of one form or another. Right. So. Uh, they're they're either being born as effectively as you know, the the primary sex is female and secondary sex is male or vice versa. Uh, you know they they are able to switch roles uh, as they grow as part of their biology. So this whole idea, yeah, Jimmy whole idea, and I, Jimmy and I's mind exploded. <laughs> we always thought that salt water was the uh, place that you'd have the gender bending the hermaphrodites when they're born. And then Jimmy and I, you know, had the beta specialist on. And we just lost our minds that that happens so often, even in freshwater. I think it's I think it's more prevalent though in salt. I think if you oh for sure it, it, it makes it makes it makes being a saltwater fish breeder a lot easier because you're not buying a dozen of something to get a pair. Right. Now, hoping hopefully there's a female in this bag of six. No, you get two two young fish. And most of the times you'll get a pair. You want to breed angels. You want a trio. You get two small ones and a big one. Boom. There. You know, I was spawning pygmy angels two weeks after I got them. Um, it's not always that hard. Everything else is hard, but the the pair formation part of it, I think we've really made great strides in understanding the the, the social structures and the reproductive structures of reef fish and how that all can can be put into play in a reef tank. So. Uh, I, I remember sitting here with uh, Frank Wachruba watching his 300-gallon reef one evening uh, a few years back, and all of a sudden, all his fish start eating. I'm like, ah, someone just spawned. He's like, what? I sat and watched him. Oh, now someone else is spawning. The next thing you know, he's like, 
I never knew all this was happening. Every evening, all his fish were spawning in his tank. So uh, it's pretty interesting to see that side of the hobby. Um, and it's really come a long way since I had my interest in it. I love the fact that you can take people that, you know, just started getting the hobby. They don't know what's going on and then explain to them what's going on. Like we can interpret that's been in the hobby. Like that fish is doing that right there. Did you see that? Oh, that's what that is. Uh, so I had my, my roommate forever. His name is Trent. And uh, he had a bunch of uh, mollies in his tank and they were all males. Cause he thought the males were the coolest. I'm like, dude, you could breed those. Oh, really? Uh, so we got an equal amount of female self in mollies. And the moment we put it in there, he's like, and I, I put them in there, float them I'm like, all right, you take the bag out, you take care of it. And the whole night he, he, you know, 30 minutes, he put it in there, acclimated them. And then I go back in there like four hours later and he's playing his Xbox, you know, or watching a movie and uh, like, dude, you, you watch what's going on in your tank. I'm like, what? I'm like, take a peek. Oh, they've been doing that since I put it in there. Uh, yeah. That's, that's how they breed. No. Yeah. See that right there. That's their, uh, got a podium. And I had to teach him about the birds and the bees, and it was all over. It was a great, entertaining night. So he he called it his triple X tank, and uh, he he still keeps fish now. In fact, he's got more aquariums because of the entertainment. Nice. <laughs> so, man, I know everybody's doing the math in their head and stuff. What's the typical spawn? How many how many babies? How many eggs will they lay? How does that all that all go down? Uh... Are they good parents? I mean, maroon clowns, maroon clowns can raise can can uh, spawn thousands. I, I don't think I track that many of her batches where I did egg counts. Um, it's really easy. You just take the nest because they you spawn them on tiles or you know uh, or a clay pot. The really simple substrate spawners. Just take a picture, go through it with Photoshop, dot all the eggs, get a get a count. Uh, I want to say she was. I don't think she was having thousands. She might have, um, but. You don't always rear that many, and I'm not the best clownfish breeder by a long shot. Uh, I, I would rank myself pretty low. I think the I think we had 120 out of the first batch that we really reared well, and and that was probably the only real batch I ran because they were so they're so mean to each other. They just would shred each other because they're they're maroon clowns. So that's that's a that's a problem that I almost was like I'm not even going to bother rearing them again until I figure out how to keep them from killing each other, which is why all the all the commercial clownfish hatcheries didn't work with white striped maroons because they were too aggressive. Uh, I remember uh, Joe, Joe Lichtenbert ran a company in uh, Chicago uh, called Reef Propagations Inc. RPI. And he was kind of flying under the, probably the fourth largest commercial clownfish hatchery in the country. Um, and he, he was fond of telling me that, you know, when he bred white striped maroons, He'd had a tank of 500 offspring, and within it, he could only sell five of them because they were that vicious towards each other. They would just shred each other's fins, and we saw it in the offspring. Um, you know, they're, all the culls I, I held back for so long, you know, missing fins, their faces were just mangled, and it wasn't from it wasn't from bad rearing. It was from them shredding each other when they were 10 days old. You know, as soon as they would settle out and get their color, they'd start cartwheeling in the, in the rearing tubs, you know, going head to tails, circling around each other, trying to kill each other. So all the commercial clownfish breeders had pretty much with the gold stripe variant, because it's not, it's not as aggressive and you can rear a sizable amount. So, uh, I want to say we maybe only had like 50 fish that we really kept, uh, and, and let go. Um, but if you're, I've had much better luck with other fish as far as producing quantity, 
But I think the biggest problem with breeding marine fish is if you produce something like clownfish, it's really easy to overproduce. You know, one good batch. And if you're not set up to be distributing clownfish as, as a business, it can take you a year to get rid of them, maybe more. I, I don't know. It's, you, you see the dollar signs when you think about, well, every, every single one of these clownfish retails, let's just say, for 60 bucks. Oh, that's great. But you know, when you rear 300 of them, not all of them are $60 clownfish. Uh, it might be $200 clownfish, but there might be $4 clownfish in there, too. Uh, and you have to, who's going to take all these clownfish? So it's a smaller hobby than the freshwater side. And unlike, let's just say you're breeding, I don't know, uh, even just African cichlids, you know, someone might buy six of one kind or a dozen of one kind and put them together. But you got to go back to what I said about clownfish before one pair per tank. A lot of people got into breeding clownfish around the time of the lightning maroon. Um, there were some other variants that were kind of coming up. Uh, and they saw a lot of money, and there was a lot of money going around, but a lot of it was between other breeders. It was that Pokemon aspect of, ooh, I got to have that pair because that pair is going to make me babies that I can sell for this much more. But it kind of, I think it kind of collapsed a little bit. I don't see it going on like I used to because there's nothing new. But it, at the end of the day, you can only sell so many. People can only put a pair in their in their tank and they're done unless they got another tank sitting waiting for another pair of clownfish. So. I always looked at it, you know, what can someone buy a dozen of? What, what, you know, and so that's where now they're breeding yellow tangs and that whole uh, fiasco in Hawaii that's uh, come to pass. You know, those, those are the kind of things. People can buy more than one yellow tang and they want to buy more than one yellow tang. So you're not sitting there with this, this product that has a finite amount of uh, people who want to buy it. A lot of people would ask, what fish should I breed? And I would, for the most part, the last five years, have been pushing them away from clowns and saying, clowns have been done. Unless you, you have a particular thing you want to do, you know, the only clownfish project I'm working on is a hybrid pairing to try to replicate something that's been found in nature. And those pairs just sit there and don't do anything. So that's, that's, that's where I am in my marine breeding world, is I have pairs of fish established that are not doing what I want them to do. What are you trying to recreate? Tomato uh, crossed with Clarkie. It's been found in the Philippines, and it's really cool, and it looks like nothing you've ever seen. Uh, that was my big thing about producing hybrids. When you produce things that can't be discerned from one of the parent species, you shouldn't be doing it, because then, then it can be confused and work its way back into the gene pool. And we see it happen on the freshwater side uh, with people breeding cichlids and, and things like that. Uh, Victorians are <laughs> notorious for it. But it's a little different on the saltwater side, first off, because we don't have this thing where anyone can breed anything. And if you produce something that's unique looking, no one's going to confuse it. No one's going to look at the hybrid tomato uh, Clarkie and be like, oh, well, that's just a tomato or, oh, that's just a Clarkie. It's a very unique looking fish. So I feel that it's, it's okay to, to pursue something like that because it's not, it doesn't have the risks. Whereas, you know, that hybridizing of, Lightning maroons with gold stripe maroons, you mix them together, you can't tell. Uh, and that's why I said, you know, at this point, uh, anyone looking to try to have a pure lightning maroon is going to have their homework cut out for them to track down like, like a pedigree dog. <laughs> okay, where did you get yours from? Where did you get this one from? You know, trace it back to Matt, basically. Um, otherwise, who knows? But yeah, that's the, uh, the one clownfish project I have going. I'm trying to do Clarky with tomato. And I have a couple pairs that are getting along but nothing's happening. 
So what about a? Oh, go ahead. No, no, all you, Adam. What about the Lord Howe's clownfish? I I saw that that people finally have captive bred them. Are they something <laughs> worth working on with? Uh, yeah, <laughs> but Karen Karen Britton is producing them on occasion. Um, and she's been she's been the only source we wrote about it in Coral. Um, and I, well, well, actually, let me step back because there's two fish that go by that common name. Are we talking about McCulloughy or are we talking about Latizanatus? Latizanatus. Okay, yeah. So that's the wide band, and and yeah, that one. I mean, finding wild ones. That was back in the early 2000s. Breeding, breeding was different because it was mostly clownfish and gobies and dottybacks. That was it. Um, so people were looking for oh, latizanatus or some 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 of the clownfish species that weren't easily accessible or hadn't really been bred because it was something new and different that no one else had. You could get into the market with it, it you know. Uh, but now we have all the designer genetics pushing that that interest away. The next, what's the next funky funky fish? Um, I think latizanatus is really cool. I've had them. Um, I actually had babies from Karen. Uh, they lived reasonably well, uh, but they're still latizanatus. They're prone to jumping. They're kind of sensitive. Uh, other people who've bred them have had horrible problems with misbarring. Misbarring is where the stripes don't form properly. Karen, for some reason, has figured it out. Hers come out with good stripes consistently, and she doesn't even know. I That was part of why I interviewed her and wrote the article is, what's your secret? And she just flat out said, I really don't know. I'm not trying to hide something. I don't know what it is. But related to that is that other fish I raised, the McCulloughy clownfish. And that has a really interesting backstory. That's the one that comes from, um, oh, what is it called? Uh, Lord Howe Island and Norfolk Island. Um, and it's endemic to just that that small area. And pretty much the story goes, there was one permitted collection to happen. It's a World Heritage Site. There's one permitted collection to happen. They were allowed to take 10 fish. The, the locals got all angry about it once they found out what was happening. And those clownfish, uh, when they were released, the F1 fish, they were selling for $3,000 a piece um, because you couldn't get them. Uh, it's a basically, for those of you who don't know the fish, it has the body shape of a tomato clownfish, solid black, has a white tail, and a white slash down its cheek. So the McCulloughy clowns are around. People got them. They ended up pro- proving to be really difficult to breed uh, because they're so aggressive towards each other. Um, if you think about, like, I don't know, just certain fish are like that. Uh, at this point, the only place you can get McCulloughy clownfish is captive bred from ORA. They're the only ones producing them. And you can't go to the wild and get more. So if people don't buy McCulloughy clownfish, eventually you could argue that ORA would stop producing them and that species would be lost to the hobby. So that's one of those cases where if you want to make a, a purchase uh, and get a fish that has a little more interest to it than just getting your standard old clownfish or the latest designer percula, go out and find some McCulloughy's. They are around once in a while. Buy that fish because that's that's different and it's a species. It's really cool. There are clownfish species that we don't have access to. There are just a handful of them, but Fusca cadatus, omanensis, they come from these protected areas so they can't be legally collected. So we don't see them in the hobby. 
we, we got a couple questions uh, about the Finding Nemo authenticity. Uh, I, I, I got to answer what we get asked, right? So in, yep, yep. The, in the movie, they have a scene where the dad asks Nemo, to, did, you, did you scrub uh, in the anemone? Is there any backing to this anemone scrubbing? And if so, what is it? Yeah. When clownfish are introduced to an anemone, uh, let's just say a captive bred Picasso, if you just thrust it into an anemone, it very well could get stung and eaten, just like any other fish. Uh, scientists don't know the exact mechanism still as far as how the fish masks itself from the anemone so that the anemone's nematocysts, these little poison-filled harpoons, don't fire off into the fish. But when you watch a clownfish acclimate to an anemone, um, it, it, it goes in first, like, just touching it ever so, ever so lightly, might take a nibble on it. Uh, it looks like they get stung a little bit, and they're adjusting something about their body chemistry or their slime coat, uh, and it's a they natural slowly vaccine. ease into it over a period of over a period of hours or days until they're finally in the anemone, not being stung and and getting along just fine. So, um, in that regard, yeah, the, that that would be where that analogy kind of comes from. It's kind of like dating. See what, see what you can get away with and, and not get stung. Yeah. Oh, and then eventually they'll just be like, yeah, you can come over on Tuesdays. That's right. And, oh, okay. and that's how you have an ex-wife, Jim. Right. Just one. Just one. He, so far. He found out it was a fake anemone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, another question that we get constantly asked is, uh, how did that darn movie, movie series, really affect the hobby? Because I know it, re- it wasn't necessarily clowns because, again... You compare clowns to the guppies of the hobby, but how did that movie affect otherwise? Uh, I'm assuming the quote-unquote Dory candidates get a lot of uh, grief as well. Yes, uh, it, absolutely. The The arguments from the scientists were that more clownfish were taken from the wild. Um, obviously, more kids wanted a pet Nemo, and you know, there's really nothing wrong with that if you're getting set up properly and buying captive bred fish. I mean, it, it's perfectly good pet. Um, yeah, there's. I mean, there's definitely, definitely the hobby saw a boost, and it also saw a lot of negative attention. Um, and then Dory, kind of, you know, same, same thing. Um, the difference is blue heptangs aren't at the time they were not able to be captive bred, so they are. They have been done now. People are working on making commercial scale blue tang culture a reality. Uh, it's not here yet, but I think it's realistic to say that in the next six months to two years, it'll probably be here. Um, and then it'll be kind of a scenario like uh, with yellow tang. I mean, captive bred yellow tangs have been around for three or four years now. Uh, the quality continues to improve. They were always more expensive than the wild caught yellow tang. But now they are the only yellow thing because Hawaii's fishery is completely shut. Um, that's not going to happen with blue heptang or hippo tang or dory, uh, at least not yet. But at some point, it could happen. There are people in the marine aquarium hobby who want to own a 100% captive propagated, 100% captive bred, nothing from the reef aquarium. And I think that that's a laudable goal if that's your aspiration because it can be done. 
Uh, and it can, you know, whether we should be breeding yellow tangs or not is another story because that, that fishery was sustainable. A fishery was a good use of the resource. The data was solid on it, and yet it still got shut down. So, what happened with that? Uh, I don't know much about that. Uh, yeah, some asshole called the Center for Biological Diversity and for the fishes and Snorkel Bob and Renee Umberger and uh, like five other Earth Justice. I can keep rattling off these big, heavily funded uh, environmental groups. Uh, and it's interesting because, you know, there are times I agree with Center for Biological Diversity on some of their missions, but shutting down Hawaii's aquarium fishery was not one of them. Um, and you could argue the amount of resources it takes to make a captive bred yellow tang is a much better use of the planet to let the ocean do that because it could be done sustainably. Um, the reason the fishery is shut down is because for years, these groups are trying to legislate it out of existence. They are trying to do it through uh, passing laws to, and, and the fishermen had to keep capitulating and and uh, it made me angry like because it was one of those you know you give them an inch they take a mile kind of scenarios you you compromise here and then five years later you're, you're just compromising even more and you're giving up even more and uh, but what ended up happening was they filed a lawsuit and basically to overly simplify it basically they alleged that the fishery needed an environmental impact statement. Now, there hadn't been one. Same license for any other commercial fishing in the state of Hawaii covers the aquarium fishery. The aquarium fishery had tons of data and science behind it because it was a managed fishery, which is what the Department of Natural Resources does in most of our states. You know, they're the ones who say, sorry, there's not enough walleye in the lacks. You can't keep any. That's their job. That's what they do. You don't need an environmental impact statement on recreational fishing in Mille Lacs to decide whether or not you should allow that. That's just the job. That's what the department's there for. But they said, no, you need to have an environmental impact on this artisanal small fishery. And there was actually one prepared and it was rejected and it needed refinement. And uh, all this. So, so we're stuck in this position where the court struck down certain things. They didn't, they left loopholes. So fishermen could kind of hobble for the last couple of years. They couldn't fish certain places that they used to. They couldn't use certain gear that they used to, but they could still fish. Uh, so the price of fish had, had gotten higher. Uh, and then basically they, you know, they just went back and said, uh, no, they're still letting them catch fish. And that wasn't really what, what was supposed to be happening. And so the court said, yeah, you're right. So shut it all down, close up all the loopholes. And that's why we have no aquarium fishing in Hawaii uh, for the last couple months and no, no idea if or when it will ever reopen. And the cry from scientists, and I'm talking like the Bruce Carlson's of the world, you know, like aquarists who have a science, scientific background who do conservation work on things like Nautilus, you know, they're the ones who are sitting here going, this was, this was an idiotic move. It shouldn't have been done. This was the best studied, most well-managed fishery in the world. What does it say if the best studied, most well-managed fishery in the world can be shut down? What does that say about all the other places where our fish come from? So it's this whole can of worms argument that, you know, uh, I've already said, next is Florida. Well, where do you get your 
Queen Angels, French Angels, Blue Angels, your Florida Aquaculture Live Rock, your Gorgonians, your cleanup crews. Where does all that come from? It comes from Florida. I mean, Florida is so, going to implode on themselves for a different reason than legislation and a bunch of people controlling shit. It's going to be for the shit that you see in the news because Florida is Florida. If you type in Florida man for yeah. any date, you're going to get batshit crazy stuff like Jimmy and I are sitting there, and Jimmy always hands me all these articles all week long, and Jimmy finds this crazy thing now that the latest and greatest mass invasive species are arapaima. Can you imagine uh, creatures that have been measured in captivity to exceed 14 feet in their uh, in our history uh, now are going yep. to explode in Florida with literally no predators? It's It's going to be, besides game fishers... It's going to be probably the craziest shit we're going to see. Oh, what's the python rate? I, I think they just found a, uh, what was it, a uh, 16-foot python that grabbed a, a small child in the backyard. So it's just the crazy stuff you see in Florida is not going to be the same as Hawaii. They're going to be locked up for reasons that uh, people are just dumb. Uh, they're actually talking about banning everything in Florida. Yeah. And so all the commercial yep. reptile breeders are going to be done. They're just really sick of dealing with all of the horrible invasive species. When you go down there, Jimmy uh, brought me down there. Jimmy's been down there countless times. You look in some of these like little ditch ponds and whatnot that just you know f- flood up from uh, from wherever. And I'm looking in there. I'm looking at angelfish. I'm looking at guppies. You know, you're, you're seeing all kinds of stuff in there because for years since the '50s, people have just had a different attitude of. That's just how we farm down here. This is our area. And that hasn't been capped enough where we have, I can't, I just, I can't fathom. It's, it's a different world. It's like, it's like science fiction thinking about Arapaima breeding on their own and exploding in, uh, in that type of area. I mean, you got Atlantic lionfish. The saltwater side is not immune. Right. See, it's, 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 it's there, but I just feel like Florida is, I can't say just deserved. But you see it coming. <laughs> I think did the Arapaima get to Florida? Because I didn't know that they really exported them. No, like, it was just they do. It was just part of the hobby. But people that had licenses to do legit things got non-legit things, and they're now they're there because of very lax control. And well, they know what's better. They they someone just does an audit. Like right now, if you went down to a, a legit place that does their homework, like Seagrass Farms, you know. They have inspections on the regular, but I'm assuming that they don't have people checking every day to see if someone misshipped a fish. Jimmy gets international shipments in, and heck, you get r- random fish you never ask for all the time. Just imagine if one of them happened to be on the CITES list or whatever else. It's just gotten stuff that way. Yeah, yeah, it's just not <laughs> not a not a great thing. I mean, I I think about. Well, you know- the many times I've gotten in feeder fish and you go, what the heck's in this bag of feeder fish? You know, you got pipe fish, you've got, you got all kinds of crazy little things that shouldn't be in there. Minnesota's just lucky that, uh, the death stalker scorpions cannot handle the winter. Yeah. But we'll let them stay in the house. For the <laughs> Adam's got a good story about that. I heard a, uh, gentleman, I can't give out any information, but this was a little while ago. Uh, ordered some stuff from uh, overseas, and uh, he ordered it was a good batch of stuff, and in it, he got a Wells catfish. That's a big no-no for those that are listening. That's that's like two steps below, you know, uh, Asian arowana. Asian arowana are more black market fishes because they're worth so much, but 
uh, Wells catfish are as illegal technically as the uh, Asian arowana. So, oh, really, I, I know a guy. Eh, but uh, no, there people. Uh, Big Rich has plenty of stories where he's got friends that had them for years before they were illegal. Had papers on them that when they were purchased, where they were purchased, and they still got repossessed by the government. Absolutely. Oh, they backdated that. Yeah, they don't care. So I think we can all agree that this whole thing is Ellen DeGeneres' fault. 100%. Because she, okay. was a, she was a voice of Dory. <laughs> and she's not being nice to people, and I think we can just blame it all on her. No, we can't do that. We no. just didn't blame it on her dancing. All right. Any special food that you recommend? Because, again, you're the guy at the Insider Secret. What did you have great success with? Oh, um, so clowns at this point. I mean, any pellet food is... Belly, you know, any good quality pellet food is a staple in any hatchery. Uh, and then it's just a mix of, you know, prepa- uh, prepared and frozen foods. So uh, mysis shrimp, you know, stuff like PE, the Canadian mysis, uh, if they're big enough to take it. Uh, one, of the, one of the tricks, uh, if you're having bad quality eggs, is to actually feed eggs, to feed capel and roe. Yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot of, lot of diets out there. I mean, like the Rod's food, uh, the original Rod's food blend. It, a lot of people know Rod Bueller more for his food now, but he was a clownfish breeder. It was, you know, he had a little shop, but he really made his name first with the Rod's Onyx Percula clownfish. And the Rod's food was his blend for, for feeding his clowns. And it's got, you know, shrimp and, and astaxanthin and, and a little bit of nori and all sorts of other stuff all mixed together. But Clownfish are really easy to take care of at this point. If you're doing captive bred ones, they'll they'll be happy living on pellets and just staple frozen. You know, Formula One, Formula One was a hatchery diet for clownfish breeding uh, before it ever ended up being a commercial commercial product as a as that frozen cube that we all know. I, I mean, geez, there's any frozen food. Frozen foods just tend to prefer uh, not prefer uh, confer uh, superior nutrition, so they're generally in the mix. If someone's breeding clownfish as, as a staple diet, they don't need frozen foods. They will subsist very, very happily on just regular old pellet fare. No problems. So. So you're not talking like caviar eggs that you can feed back to them. Are you, where do you get those? Uh, well, yeah, like Cape, Capelin row. I mean, it, technically when you see sushi Masago, I believe that is Capelin. Uh, and the orange is just a dye they apply to it. So, oh. uh, yeah. Interesting. I mean, and that's, that and that's uh, actually where uh, where Joe would get his eggs when he was feeding eggs. He would feed them. He would just go to the Asian market and buy and buy it and rinse it, and then just use those eggs. So nice. it's really just the 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 high new the high quality nutrition that's in it. Um, and that all that all pertains more to yes, the clownfish will do well on a regular old prepared diet. But if you want the best quality offspring, then you have to put in the best quality foods and get the, the right nutritional profile in there so that you produce good eggs uh, so the parents don't eat their eggs. Um, we didn't even really talk about that whole clownfish life cycle, but I should just kind of throw in here. Hey, hit it up. Clowns, this is the time to do it. Clowns will spawn, depending on the species, some of them will spawn every 14 to 21 days. Woo. Some are more like a monthly, a monthly spawn. That's and, about yeah, what we were I talking get, about Jimmy. the number of eggs. That could be... 200 to 2,000 eggs, depending on the size of the fish. Um, and eggs incubate as short as seven to eight days. And some of the longer ones can, you know, temperature and species can get up there 
uh, more like 12 or 13, I want to say. And then the larval duration. So the baby clownfish, they're not protected by their parents. Parents guard the eggs, take care of the eggs when they hatch. Boom, they go up into the plankton column, uh, into the water column, and live there. And then eventually, when they have grown and eaten enough plankton, they come back to the reef, they settle uh, in an aquarium setting. Uh, you can have Percula and Ocellaris clownfish settling out at eight days after they hatch. So it's a, it's a really short larval stage. And we're breeding them. Uh, rotifers uh, are the first food. And I'm just uh, like throwing the little tidbits out, out at you. Um, I love tidbits. Uh, this, is, this is what people yeah, come here so, for. You know, this is not this is not the how to breed clownfish podcast. This is just nickel tour. So, copepods uh, can be beneficial. Uh, a lot of times, we used to use baby brine shrimp as the second food, but it has the wrong nutritional profile and causes problems. And so now uh, we've come to, come to realize that there are larval feeds that you can get. Sometimes get the clownfish to go straight from rotifers to the larval feed, and you don't even need that transitional animal. And yeah, I mean, so different clownfish grow at different rates. Uh, and mature at different rates. You can have an Ocellaris clownfish uh, spawning as an adult female within one and a half years. Uh, a male can be down at six to eight months, and he's a functional male. So the generation time, even though these fish can live 20 years, 20, 10 to 20 years is a good lifespan for a clownfish. The oldest wild one that I'm aware of is 32. Um, Damn. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, but but... A good 10, 15 years, uh, Mama Onyx is captive bred, and they know that she lived to be 14 years old. I look at a 10-year-old lightning. That was a reasonable lifespan. You know, I would have loved to have another 5 or 10 years with her. Anyways, that's the nickel tour there on, on how it all goes. So. Now, a quick question for you, Matt. You're talking about how, how feeding the caviar to uh, to the fish. Yep. Would Would that work? Let's say on angelfish, freshwater angelfish, because I've had a lot of pairs. At one time, I had over seventy-five pair going, and I had I just had certain pairs that, as they were laying eggs, they were eating eggs. Was that because of nutrition? I just I, I, it could be, it could be something else. Uh, but that was always the that was always one of the go tos when the eggs weren't good or the parents were eating them. They fed them eggs because the thought was they're missing something. They're not getting something in their diet they need. They know the eggs are bad. So they're just recouping that nutrition. So the, the trick was to feed them eggs. Now, I can't say it works every time. This is all anecdotal, but it has become part of our, our toolkit is that eggs should be in the rotation. You know, when I was breeding angels, I can't recall whether I tried it or not, but I was, I had never bothered with parent raising with my angels. I would just yank, I wanted the eggs. That's what I, that's what I was there for. I wanted the babies. Uh, it was a commercial operation, so I was pulling the eggs and artificially incubating all the eggs. So I never, I couldn't tell from personal experience whether that would work or not. All right, yeah, I was just thinking that to myself too. I I always pulled the eggs also, and I had I think a random two or three pair that that were good parent raisers and stuff. And that's I would do that for myself because that was just fun to see to see uh, all those yeah. babies with 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 the male stuff. But yeah, we I, Rob makes fun I, of me because I used to have a hundred jars. Well, that's that's why uh, you know the uh, that's part of the fun of cichlids. I mean, I've got a pair of uh, I've got a pair of cutter eye with fry in the basement right now, and uh, the uh, the Lake Turkana jewel cichlids uh, had spawned recently. And watching watching them with their babies, 
it's just I mean, it's fun. I I was like getting my kids down there. You need to see this. This is cool. Uh, and that was the thing that got me into Africans. Um, the first time I was exposed to them was at the sh- at the shed in that kind of old side gallery kind of place they had where they had that whole uh, tank full of Neolamprologus prashardi. Uh, it was a whole colony of you know the the adult pair and then the older babe older offspring guarding the youngest uh, babies. That that is that that behavior is so cool. Those are neat fish, anyways. But then seeing them display those behaviors with their babies is that that's on another level. We don't get that in the saltwater world for the most part. Coptodons, if you know much about them, because I have some. I don't. I have some. They're they're on the cares list. I got them by chance through a friend with some stuff I kind of half inherited. So, but, and I have a couple jewel cichlids when you said that they stress spawn, they spawned as soon as I got them out of the buckets and put them in. And then the the eggs didn't last 24 hours though. They ate them up and then they fought after that. So Uh, I have no idea about that. Maybe I'll pick your brain later. Do you you know that they're a pair? When, as soon as I put them in the tank, like within the week or a couple days, rather they, they had eggs on one of the big flat rocks in that tank. And then they hung out for about a day or so. And then I saw them picking off ones that looked kind of funny. And then I was like, okay, they're just doing their thing maybe. And then after a day, they were just completely gone. They just need Matt Patterson's marriage counseling. That's what they need. Now now all they do is fight. Well, I've got them all in a tank together. So they're, you know, they're all like, uh, I bought a bunch of cutter eye just wanting a pair. So now the pairs are taking turns spawning. And then fight, you know, so they're carving out a little part of their tank doing like, you could imagine a whole bunch of convicts and it's basically the same fish, you know, and one pair will take, take over a part of the tank for a while and spawn and then they'll move out and the next pair will come in and spawn there. And the jewels were kind of just like, where can we get our, our, our stuff going? So, right. So yeah. They was only the only fought. two I have. It was kind of like a rescue operation where there were oh, just, yeah. there were a whole bunch of fish that were different species and I only had ended up with a few of them left over after the operation was over with. So. Well, and, and that's where I come back and say, do you know you have a pair, like a male, female pair? Like there's a, there's a parrot, there's a parrot cichlid at my, at my doctor's office that has no mate, but she spawns, she throws down eggs, no mate. No other cichlid in the tank. Um, Every once in a while, she'll lay eggs everywhere. So, no, that, that's that's what comes okay, to mind. Is you inherited these fish. Do you know you have a male-female pair? The the exels, the hemi, the hemichromous exel. Uh, it's pretty easy to tell now which one which ones are male and female. And uh, they're only they're only like two inches long. They're really awesome jewels that I, I want to. I, I think I want to cover them in, in Amazonas at some point, just because they're just totally turns. My my thinking of jewel cichlid on its on its head having these fish. I, I got a really dumb question. For your hybrids, your yes. attempted your tomato whatever you know your tomato and their uh, what's the other yeah. one you're crossing with? Tomato and Clarky. Yeah, you know how when we you take water from one tank and you dump it in the other tank and it gets the other ones to spawn. Have you tried taking water from pairs of each and dumping it in at the same time? They're all in a system together. Oh, okay. They're all in a system. Uh, but no one's no one's spawning in that system. So uh, that is something that clownfish breeders have tried. I couldn't tell you that there's actual hard data to say it works or not, but I do know that that's that's one of those things that breeders will try because you'll get a pair that oh, I want them to spawn. Why aren't they spawning? But clownfish is like just 
feed the heck out of them and wait. And, and eventually they'll get there. Have you tried any berry white? Might want to try some berry white. Yeah. Uh, I thought those memes were over. <laughs> I'm glad you brought it back up. You can never get enough berry white. It's true. Yeah. It's true. We can't even play the clip anymore because YouTube sucked. Yeah, YouTube yells at us every time we put some music we in. The big black yeah. cocks on, or the big cocks on. Well, now that Jimmy can episode. can go to jail over DMCA, copyright. I don't care. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with jail. Get all the free loving you want. That would they be feed the, That would be the last thing I think. Or Jimmy would call me for. I'm in jail. Why? Because we put the music on the podcast. Like, no, because you shit on your neighbor's lawn, Jimmy. <laughs> well, well, Matt, I, I think we've you gave us a lot of tidbits, and I think for our advanced hobbyists, they're going to really go off on this one because who better to talk to than you? But uh, you got anything else going on? I see uh, this Mini Waters website. Is I'm assuming that's yours. Oh yes, yes, that's a. Uh... Mini Waters is the company that exists because I'm self-employed. You know, even though I, uh, a partner in Amazonas and, you know, I work for Coral, it's all contractual employee type stuff. You know, it's not a, uh, I'm not an hourly, uh, hourly employee. So uh, Mini Waters exists as a company for everything. This circles back to what I was talking about with Reef Central. The every fish breeder is commercial. Uh, everyone's in it to make money. And that's not really the case, but. When you produce fish and you're successful as a breeder, you have to find them homes. So you have to sell them because you're not going to give away 200 Onyx perks. It's just no one does that, um, especially with the money it took to make them. So Mini Waters uh, existed as a wholesale operation um, for, uh, you know, all my angelfish were wholesaled. Everything was wholesale. Um, I did it because when we moved to Duluth, um, you know, we always have this, uh, we always tell everyone, support your local fish store. And I moved here and we had, at the time, we had three independent retailers. And, you know, I, I can't justify supporting my independent retailer being, okay, I'll buy the heater from you for $60 when it's $20 online. I just can't do that. None of us can. We can't take and just give $40 a charity to, I might as well just give them 40 bucks and say, here, thank you. Um, I looked at it. I looked at the problem of supporting your independent retailer from a different aspect and said, what did these stores need? And, uh, I knew I was setting up the fish room. So I asked, uh, like Lisa at world of fish here in Duluth, I said, what do you need? And it kind of came down to angels and guppies. Well, then I'm going to breed angels and guppies. I'm going to give you what you need. And uh, I can't share specific numbers, but I do know that when I was actively providing her with angelfish i was sometimes there every week uh dropping off you know a nice box of angels and she was making a good three four time five time markup on some of those fish and they were quality they weren't the junk that people were getting uh that you just get through the trade so she was able to ask a higher price for them uh it was something you couldn't walk into the box or you couldn't walk into petco to get so that's that's how the wholesale side of Mini Waters started. And so it kind of added retail when we were sitting on Lightning Maroon Clowns. Uh, I had gone through the, the initial wave with Blue Zoo of, okay, that first batch, we're all done. We sold them. You made lots of money. Great. Now I have Lightning Maroons, and I'm making them available wholesale. And I'd have a, you know, this is when Lightning Maroons were retailing for $1,000. And I'd have them on the wholesale list for anywhere from 150 Hundred and a quarter to two fifty. Anyone could have come, 
that I'll buy even two of them, ship them to me, and could have turned around and sold them for six, eight hundred dollars. And I could not get a store to buy a Lightning Maroon. I think I only wholesaled one. <laughs> the entire time we produced Lightnings, they were all. It was just like we're sitting on them and we're like, okay, we're we're making them available at very reasonable prices to stores, and no one's buying them. And meanwhile, I'm getting people saying, can I get one from you? I'm saying, no, well, have your store call me. Have your store call me. We'll work it out. We'll figure it out. We're wholesale only. And after about a year, maybe a year and a half of that, I said, fluke it. And uh, added the retail, added many water staff fish, sold every single Lightning Maroon at retail prices. So it's tough. You know, sometimes you say, Support your local store, and I love all the, you know, before all of this podcast this evening, uh, I was out shipping wholesale vivarium plants. I was packing plants for a day. After this podcast is done, all night I'll be packing wholesale orders for days. Um, but I couldn't get a store to buy a $150 fish that they could have, they could have doubled it, sold it for $300, and the price online was $500, and they couldn't make that, that leap. So that's where that's where miniwaters.fish came from. That's where I put things up for retail sale when I feel like it. And let, let me tell way. you, the, your feel like it selection right now looks pretty good. You have a lot of really I know cool. Frogs I want. Yeah, you have a lot of really cool looking. Plants. I don't have any frogs. Look, there's a lot of stuff that's out of stock. It's, it takes a long time to create those listings, take the photos. Whereas my wholesale customers. I add a line to a spreadsheet. Say it's this price. That's all we got to do. So, uh, you know, I was posting on Instagram tonight. Uh, I think I posted a couple pictures of plants and said, you know, that, that were first times. And I said, wholesale customers get first crack because they do. Because I could just add a line to a spreadsheet and say, try these out. If I'm going to put it on the website, I have to sit there and write it all up, take good pictures. And it, I think it probably takes half an hour to put a new product on the website. And I just don't have time for that. For what you have listed, you still have quite a few different plants and a lot of different options. I uh, I, I got to say, a lot of these you don't see in traditional places, so it must be just your hand-picked fun. Well, it's it's all being grown here. I took down the the old clownfish breeding rack because I wasn't breeding clownfish, and that whole entire rack is all vivarium plants now. And nice. I'm kind of reworking the fish room. Uh, I saw an opportunity with the vivarium hobby. So for for those of you who are familiar with the fish world, uh, from the retail side, when you have a really unhappy saltwater customer come in, he bought a 200-gallon tank, and he had it for a year, and it just it just didn't work out. And he comes in, I want to sell my tank. We we all know he's not going to get what he paid for it. It's going to be dejected. He's going to be out of the hobby. And as a retailer, you're going to lose your customer. So I always took them over to the cichlid section and showed them the Africans and said, drain out all your water, fill it back up with fresh water, and next week, come back, and we'll get you like a dozen of these to start. And you could put like 50 of them or 100 of them in your tank. Those ended up being some of the best customers and the happiest people. And I got into the dart frog hobby very indirectly, but through, I haven't mentioned it, but my friend Mike Doty, who runs Fogtown Frogs uh, and Doty Aquaculture, is the only other clownfish breeder up here in Duluth. He lives four blocks from me and we're family friends. We didn't know that when I moved here or anything. It just happenstance happened. Um, and so he got me into the dart frogs, uh, basically cause he started having them and we would watch each other's fish rooms 
And one day I said, hey, do you mind watching the frogs? I said, no. What does this take? So, well, you, feed, you spray them and you put the fruit flies in here and you shake them in. I, I, that's it? Nothing else to do? Nope. And I'm like, nothing, nothing else ever. Like, nope, that's, that's it. And the light bulb kind of just went off and I realized um, that this was for the person who's just not a, a fish person for whatever reason. This is a similar hobby. It's like the terrestrial version of a reef tank. So if you get someone who tried a reef tank and they, it just was a miserable failure or they tried a planted freshwater tank and they just couldn't hack it, take them over to the dart frogs, take them over to the vivarium, show them these because, man, it really is that easy. Uh, you don't have to have dart frogs in a vivarium to have a nice vivarium. You can do bioactive whatever you want. And I saw the opportunity. I have a plant background as well. I used to run a, an orchid breeding uh, business in Chicago. And this was kind of also a way to get back into the plant side of what I like to do. But I looked at it and said, the plants are the coral frags. You, know, you buy a reef tank. Absolutely. You have one, buy, you have one pair of clownfish in your, in your little nano cube. How many coral frags can you put in that little tank? And I said, you know, I don't need to breed the dart frogs. I'll supply the plants. Um, and uh, so I have a lot of plants. Um, and I grow them. Specific, they are vivarium-oriented plants for the most part. Um, uh, you know, this whole past year, we haven't talked about it, but uh, since COVID hit, I can't get air cargo shipments to Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, I, I will gladly bring stuff up from Seagrest and from uh, 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 Nautilus and some of the other vendors because I can get, you know, uh, three boxes from Seagrest, 100 pounds of fish, that's 70, uh, 70 bucks. That's very reasonable. I'll do that. But I can't do that. So I'm stuck either FedExing anything I want, which is exorbitantly expensive, uh, or with a limited selection of what we can get locally delivered. So I just looked at my fish business when the pandemic started and when I couldn't get fish, I said, I'm not even going to try this year. So I've been putting a little bit of fish back into the fish room. Um, got some nice quarries cause they've been popping up. So I've just been snatching them up. Uh, so I might have some nicer fish selection this year. The other thing I tried to do with mini waters was I wanted to be a one-stop shop for all the captive bred saltwater fish. Certain producers only do certain things. And you couldn't get them all in the same spot. And so I tried to work with as many as, as I could to bring it all together. And so for a while, I did that. Uh, and then obviously, the, I saw the need for that go away as people caught on and realized they shouldn't be doing it. So I, don't, I didn't feel a need to really pursue that uh, any longer as a business, uh, as a part of my business. So, Well, if you, you guys want to see these things that he has listed or even for wholesale inquiries, go to miniwaters.fish. Uh, it is not dot com. It is dot fish. And, uh, you know, if you go in there, you get something, put it in promo code aquarium guys and get 0% off your order and make Matt <laughs> smile. So, uh, support this man, Subscribe to your email list. go to his, uh, his, his site and, uh, also check out. I, I don't even, go ahead. I was going to say, I don't even use the email list. I think I, I, it's just collecting emails that are gathering dust. There you go. Well, uh, certainly go there, check it out, and then also check out his other works on, uh, again, the Amazonas Magazine and Coral Reef Magazine to uh, keep up to date with all just, things in just, both of those hobbies. Just Coral Magazine. Yes, Coral Magazine. Uh, Coral Reef Magazine. I apologize. Yes. You can tell that I only no, subscribe to one I, side of the coin. 
You don't even subscribe to it. Jimmy gives it to you. Hey, yeah. Rob only swings one way, and that's fresh water. He subscribes to it, so I just reap the rewards. Well, thanks again, Matt. We appreciate it, and uh, gotta you know we gotta pick something for the fourth topic, but we'll uh, we'll discuss. But thank you again. Thank you for having me, guys. Always nice. Well, for those you are- guys don't pick on me very much. Great. We we don't need to. I mean, you're just too good of a too good of a guy, too good of a gym. But if you guys enjoy what you listen to the podcast, go to Aquarium Guys Podcast. On the bottom of the website, you can find the Go Fluke Yourself t-shirts. Uh, you can uh, support our sponsors. Are awesome. uh, you can throw <laughs> us a few bucks, keep the uh, lights on. And, uh, you know, Matt, you should use the go- or just use the fluke term somewhere in your material. I mean, we, we want that to happen. We don't need any credit. Yeah. You could, That is yours to keep. No, I know. I, I, I get where you're going with this. Now, now, do you have? Does the hoodie have a zipper? It does. It does. How come no one? Oh, I ha- might, I might just be into that. We have a zipper hoodie just for you, and it's in fat man sizes, so uh, wow. people like me could even get it. Whoa. Well, what are you saying about Matt? God, you're no, no. Matt is Matt's Matt's a fit gentleman, uh, but I'm just listening because you know we have a lot of neck neck beard, you know, fat breathers on the podcast. I just want to let them know that they're included as well. I'm I'm just gonna put this out there. We do have the big sizes. I bought one for Rob, the biggest one we could, uh, for Christmas. It didn't fit, so I'm now using it to cover my motorcycle in my garage. <laughs> Jackass. <laughs> all right, guys. Until next week, love you all. I know. Thanks, guys, for listening to the podcast. Please go to your favorite place where podcasts are found, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever they can be found. Like, subscribe, and make sure you get push notifications directly to your phone so you don't miss great content like this. F***ing <laughs> Don't even get me started on this.